Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Hey everyone, thanks for coming back and being here at Walking with Freya. They are doing some work. There are some men walking around on my roof, so I'm not in the closet. So I'm sitting in a room downstairs with a blanket on my head. So we'll make this quick because it's not the most comfortable position. This week's episode is with Miss Jackie Byer. She is an educator and fellow podcaster who hosts the Authentic Teacher Podcasts. She came on here to talk mostly about dyslexia the signs that a child is struggling with reading and how to help them through these struggles and the importance of focusing on their strengths. Whether or not you have a child with dyslexia, Jackie offers some great advice and practices for any child learning to read, struggling or not. She calls on her experience as an educator and an in-depth training she participated in this past summer. I really did enjoy this, this conversation. It flowed easily. She had a lot to say. She really knows what she's talking about. And I got a lot out of it. I got a lot of tips for for working with Freya on how to read, learning to read. And uh, I think you will too. So check out the show notes for a list of the resources that Jackie mentions. So before we move into the interview, it feels very important to me to address the state of our of our nation. I'm not going to get too political. I think it's a time where people do need to be speaking up and 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 saying what they believe in. And I do that in a lot of other places. This is maybe not the place, but I will say that I would just like to remind us all of our shared humanity, the need to operate from places of respect and compassion to be good listeners and advocates for each other and ourselves, and to remember that everyone needs and deserves to feel safe. So please, be good people out there to each other and to yourselves. And remember, bullying is never okay, even or especially if it comes from people who have more power than others. And I'll leave that there. I hope that you enjoy this very informative and easy talk on helping our children with their reading skills. As always, you can email email me at walkingwithfreya at gmail.com. I would love to hear your story if you're willing to share. I have some interviews lined up with some uh, interesting people. So keep checking back. Hit subscribe on whatever podcast app you listen to subscribe so to be sure to get these interviews as they come up and always uh you know if you haven't yet please rate and review us that's it enjoy the show 
Thanks for being here. Okay. And we're on. So I am speaking with Jackie. I met her actually on a Facebook group that we're both on for women podcasters. And we put the call out sometimes for guests. And Jackie mentioned that she she is a teacher and she works with kids um, that have uh, dyslexia and with dyscalculia. And she has a, pod a podcast that she's going to talk about later. And um, But first off, Jackie, um, do you mind just going ahead and introducing yourself and you know, kind of what you want to share with us about who you are? Sure. So uh, I've been an elementary school teacher since 2003. I graduated, I guess, December 2003, so technically 2004. I've taught over 700 students in... Uh, 15 different schools in a half a dozen districts. Um, and I just uh, have done a lot of research, specifically more this summer um, on the brain science of dyslexia, but really it kind of all started back in 2005. A principal handed me this book by um, Dr. Sally Shewitz called Overcoming Dyslexia. And that's kind of always been my guidebook. But I mean, there's some very common, um, you know, threads for students um, that you can follow along with. And, the, and then I've used that book for um, tutoring students, for students in my classroom, for just helping um, students, whether they have dyslexia or they're a struggling reader or struggling, you know, with number sense. And then I also have, I've just had a ton of training um, in the districts that I've had. I've just always been really like, and I'm very always interested and passionate about learning what can I do to help students. And actually I worked at Head Start for two years. So um, just helping kids, uh, gain confidence to me. And then I'm even like reading this book right now, um, that talks a lot about how students and even as adults, um, if you have confidence, if you feel that you can do something, that's going to boost your confidence and it, and it can even extend into other areas. Like, if, if you're really strong in reading, but you struggle in math, if your parents believe in you or your teachers believe in you that you have the competence to do something, it just really builds on those things. And, and Dr. Sewitz's book, really, one of the things I love about it is that it focuses on student strengths. And so I'm just really passionate about this topic. Um, and according to the Center for Dyslexia and Creativity, one in five students has some kind of learning, reading, you know, either reading challenge or math challenge or, you know, maybe not necessarily dyslexia on the whole, but, you know, and so these students are out there. Um, and so I just am really passionate about helping parents. And I know as soon as you talk to parents about their students' strengths, you can see the relief and so on. I'm just really, you know, passionate about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that um, speaking to their strengths and really supporting that and how that kind of overflows into them feeling more confident and, and learning, learning the rest or helping them be more successful. Maybe I guess that's what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it just, it affects every area of your life. And if you struggle in reading and then the other thing that I, well, the biggest thing to me that I've learned this summer is that, I mean, I've always known that every child can read, but there's just some very specific steps that students can take and teachers can take to help students. And we learned a lot of, um, we had a lot of extra math training and number sense last year. And I, it's just amazing when you see a student, like 
I guess I love, to me, the best thing about being a teacher is seeing what I call like, you know, when the light bulb pops over a student's head and they've been like struggling with something and struggling with it. And all of a sudden you see, they get it. And, and a lot of times you'll see that, you know, right after Christmas break, they come back in January and they're kind of like, there's like a couple of weeks there where it's like, Oh, what did they forget everything? But then all of a sudden, like it just clicks. And all of a sudden mm. I just feel like you can be in a room and the kids like the light bulbs are just popping boom, boom, boom. And they're finally getting something that you've been working on, you know, for three, four months now. And it's just um, being hmm. able to help kids learn and feel confident and enjoy learning. I had such great teachers. I loved to go to school when I was a little kid. And part of the reason I became a teacher was I was meeting all these kids in kindergarten and first grade and second grade that hated school. And I was like, how can you hate school when you're so young? And then I can see a lot of things now that I've been in the public schools for years um, that we're doing that kind of crushes that inner child. And then also mm. um, just a lot of what I learned about students with dyslexia specifically this summer that there's like some very like I always kind of felt like it was me out there kind of being like well this is what I think I should do and now I'm really more passionate about like I know this without a shadow of my doubt because I I have just um talked to a lot of parents this summer while I was doing my research who have said yep this is what worked yep this is what worked um, and so I just feel like, you know, if we know that, and it's kind of like, it's interesting because I also have a gardening podcast that I've been doing for four years. And one of the books, one of the people I interviewed on my gardening podcast, she talked about, well, if we know these are best practices for farmers, why aren't we doing them? And so my question this summer is, if we know these are best practices for students and teachers and in the classroom, why aren't we doing them in the classroom? And so I'm excited to have this chance to talk about it and just um, that we're kind of breaking some of the silence. Cause I know parents are like, they just, they get so nervous. They're like, oh my goodness, my child's whole life is gonna be ruined. If they can't read, they're gonna be falling behind. How are they gonna get into college? How are they gonna get a job? How are they gonna be successful? Um, and a lot of it, I mean, Certainly, it, it's good to have a quality teacher, a quality tutor, but as Dr. Shaywitz says in her book, there's some very specific reading programs. So they, she talks about being an advocate for your child and like, you know, she's got very specific things you can do at home, which, I mean, a lot of it starts with rhyming. If you're little mm. kids, you know, it starts with nursery rhymes. With older kids, one of the things I always... Um, believed in was music and singing in the classroom but it actually started with a student I had who um, was in special ed classes and they put him back in my classroom full time because his mother felt that he had more confidence in my room and he was and so but then I was like oh my goodness you know I don't really have that much training for a student you know I'm not a special ed teacher so I started doing more research again and going back through what had I done and one of the biggest things is like I said, rhyming, but also lyrics, singing, um, and having the kids, they have to be reading it. You know, you don't want to, but there's so many things on YouTube where the kids, you know, we would do them for brain breaks and the kids would think they're just there dancing. But <laughs> meanwhile, there's the lyrics up on the screen. They're seeing it over and over. And that just builds text fluency. Cause really, I mean, that's, you know, you want text fluency and vocabulary are two of the biggest things, you know, increasing your students vocabulary, and then working on text fluency, helping them. And then the other thing I, I hear so many times from parents, from teachers, from administrators, et cetera, is they're pushing kids to read um, things that are too hard. I mean, I, I truly believe, you know, they should be challenged. They should be in a classroom learning at grade level, but they also have to spend a lot of time 
reading books that are easy for them. And Dr. Shaywitz in her book says 19 out of 20 words on a page, 19 out of 20 words is where they should be reading to build that fluency. If they, if they're reading independently, that's how many words. So if you have a high schooler, you know, I'm so into library books, go to the library, find, they don't constantly have to be reading chapter books. There's so many picture books that are not meant for kindergartners or first graders. They're mm -hmm. written for fourth graders, fifth graders, sixth graders. So the more um, students are, are finding books that that's something they're passionate about, they're interested in. And the other one I'm really big on, like podcasting. Like I really want to get into teaching teachers how to incorporate podcasting in the classroom whether the students are listening to podcasts or they're creating podcasts because a lot of students that struggle with dyslexia are, are auditory learners mm -hmm. uh, then with dyscalculia and the mad things you know there's so many like um you know card games money games you know um just dealing with money and counting with money like the biggest thing to me is like number sense based on like counting to 10 and putting things like you don't realize like if you're even if you're counting like 272 plus 35 you still you know it's that five plus the two the seven you know working in those first 10 numbers and if kids don't have a strong foundation of being able to break apart 10 and put together 10 mm -hmm. even if they're in sixth grade even if they're in high school it kind of all goes back to that and if you can build that beginning number sense you know, just things like that. I don't know. Am I off topic? No, no, you're great. I the I question was. <laughs> um, no, that's great. I do want to back up just a little bit because okay. uh, dyscalculia was a word that I had to look up when you said that you could talk about it. I had sure. never heard that word. So um, would you mind just explaining that briefly for anybody who's wondering what we're talking about? So, you know, I'm going to recommend a resource called Understood. And Understood has the best um tool you can go there and go to go to their tools um and i can send you the link and you can actually see through your child's eyes and experience what it's like to be a child and they have this great like um simulation where the kids are like you know trying to do this um they've got like quarters and nickels and pennies and dimes and what it's like to be a student with this calculia and trying to solve this problem and how frustrated it is because like you, you know what the right answer is, but the thing's not letting you click it. And like, as you click it, it's doing like, it's changing the numbers and you kind of get the understanding of what it's like to be a student who doesn't have um, strong number sense. And that's really, you know, so just like with reading, we want to build reading fluency with students to struggle in math we want to build math fluency and and a lot of times that's where dyscalculia comes in and i guess i haven't really i guess done as much research um on dyscalculia as i have on dyslexia i kind of like mm -hmm. am interested in writing a book um more or really the book i'm working on is like um, authentic lessons that go with the common core for math because we used to have to do authentic lessons for literature but I would always like do these math challenges on Fridays or for the weekend with my students like um, like applying whatever we were doing in the classroom to like whatever like one really good example is like my husband sent me to store to get um, staples 
and he was like, they have to be a half inch. And we were doing equivalent fractions in school. And I get to the store and of course there's nothing that says a half inch. There's like three eighths and there's five sixteenths and there's something else. And so I was like, well, these are the ones I bought. Did I buy the right ones? And were they big enough? Do I have to go back to the store and just things like that? But um, dyscalculia is kind of... Um, where students are really just struggling with math, struggling with concepts, struggling with numbers. But like I said, again, it, it can be people who have dyslexia or dyscalculia, they're never gonna not have it. It's, it's there for life. You can work to rewire their brains through text fluency or through, like I said, like number sense, like through number fluency, helping kids with numbers. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of it also is like, they're just going to struggle and they just have to come up with different ways for them to understand how numbers fit together and kind of find it in their own way. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it really like their, their brains literally have, are you, they're using different parts of their brains and you can rewire. I mean, I'm certainly not a scientist or a doctor or anything, um, but just to helping them use different parts of their brains to look at things. And so, and do they understand it differently from each other? Is that? Is they can, that? for sure. All, you know, every student is unique and they all have different strengths and they all have different ways of looking at things. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but it kind of all comes down to breaking it down to those very basic initial pieces of understanding numbers and how they work together and counting. Uh -huh. A lot of it's through counting. Well, one of the things I wanted to say about the reading was, you know, I homeschooled my oldest daughter for a while and I taught her how to read, which was, you know, something that I was very um, proud of. And I remember when she was like three and four years old, she was, she was starting to read words already. And I was like, you know, oh man, she's going to be such a great reader. And she did not read intentionally or, you know, out of desire. She didn't read her first book until she was seven. Like up and she just was not really getting into it. And then I gave birth to Freya, who is the namesake of this podcast. And there was, you know, I didn't have nearly as much time uh, to, you know, I, I was kind of in bed for a while. And, and I remember she crawled in bed next to me the one day with a book and laid there and just read for two hours. And it was the first time she had, you know, actually read a book like that. It was because she wanted to. It was a book that she wanted to read. She didn't think she had anything else to do. And so it was just this kind of this aha moment of I can sit and drill her at the table all I want, but she's not going to be a reader until she wants to be. And, and like you said, find something that's in, interesting to her and that she's passionate to read. I am struggling with Freya, my middle one. Um, you know, we've had to work really hard teaching her rhyming and getting her to even understand that concept. And so it's interesting that you brought that up that we kind of have to start with that. And I had uh, somebody point that out to me, the school psychologist pointed that out that, you know, she's not rhyming. So we can't, you know, that's kind of one of the main building blocks. If she, if she's not rhyming, we can't really move ahead until we get her to understand that concept. You've never tried to teach a kid to read till you've taught a kid who doesn't rhyme to read. And it's like a whole new, I, I mean, you just, you can't really, really, you can't really even understand it until you meet a student like that. And then you're like, oh, wow. Because there's so much, you know, like Dr. Seuss was the master of helping kids learn to rhyme and making up all those words. And like, I've heard a lot, you know, there's a lot of debates. Should we worry about nonsense words? And what, you know, why did they teach nonsense words? And why do they, but 
nonsense words are the foundations of putting sounds together and kids being able to segment sounds and being able to take apart a word and understand, um, you know, like if you're saying the word test, that it's t s k, that there's four sounds there. And it just, if kids can't rhyme, it's so much harder for them to take apart those sounds and then to put them together. And then you think, oh, well, who cares about a one syllable world? Well, then you try to like, after teaching fourth grade, and you really see kids trying to struggle to, you know, read any kind of like, you know, multi-syllable words like mechanic or um, multiple or even mathematics, like if they can't make those, if it's not a word, and that's why vocabulary is so important, because at least if they've heard the word before, it makes it easier. But when you see kids trying to struggle and they can't read five words out of a sentence, you know, it's it's so hard. And that's where the gaps really grow. But yep, definitely starts with rhyming. And so if your daughter's struggling with rhyming, like I said, I would definitely like singing. How much singing can you do? Because most kids love to sing. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great way to get rhyming in. And then the mother, um, mother goose nursery rhymes, just any of that. And I think a lot of people take it, you know, for granted that kids are going to rhyme. But really, the reason a lot of kids do learn to rhyme is because their parents used to say those things to them, and they used to have more access to it. And just rhyming was more a part of it. And um, I don't know if technology is getting away from that or what, but yeah, kids who can't rhyme are going to struggle to read so much harder. Right. Well, one of the theories is, uh, that also that her speech is affecting it. Um, because you know, she takes speech, she's, you know, she's working on her articulation and that's what has been suggested is that, um, because when she says the words, like they don't sound the same to her as when we say it. Like she, you know, like if she says, you know, root and boot, it sounds like it doesn't sound like how we say it. So to her, it doesn't, it doesn't rhyme. So that's a whole, that's another aspect that I think is pretty interesting because I have a daughter that is 16 months younger than her and she can totally rhyme. You know, I have to even actually like ask her to be quiet when I'm playing the rhyming games and asking for, okay, what rhymes with this? You know, my little one will jump in every time you know because she's got it do the people that are telling you that though talk about pre-teaching it and very like specifically like you know this poem has these words in it and these words you know end with and like can fan can mm -hmm. and you're gonna listen to the words in this rhyme make sure you hear them and pre-teaching it before you ask her what rhymes because that's like a really huge part of um, it's called direct instruction and just, um, I'm such a big believer in, you know, if you're going to, or like even beginning sounds like Mary, like if you're doing a poem and it's like all about Mary and Mary meets marvelous, mar makes marvelous marble, you know, masterpieces, making sure you teach the kids ahead of time. Mm -hmm. we're, we're listening for the sound mm, this is the sound mm, makes these words are all going to start with mm, and then ask him at the end the same thing with rhyming you know we're going to have a poem it's going to end in these like did they tell you to do that yeah yeah she's got a great resource teacher at school and she's made uh, a lot of great strides recently with um you know reading and sounding out words and so she's she's definitely improving they're they're doing a great job it was interesting to see in the beginning though when you would ask her, okay, what rhymes with tree? She would say, you know, bird, or she would come up with something that was related to it that just didn't sound anything like it. You know, it was just kind of, you know, figuring out how her brain was was uh, kind of processing it all, I guess. But um, 
yeah we do we do a lot of, of stuff she gets pulled out and works with the resource teacher and they do a lot of rhyming and and word games so she's making a lot of progress so that's good it's you know it's definitely hopeful um, cool well that's good to hear because i worry so much and i i think back about some of the students like i've been worrying a lot it seems like this while about students that i've taught in the past that i was like you know either i thought this is what they needed or i didn't know you know at the time like it's so amazing to me how much you don't know when you graduate from school with a, a degree and they tell you they're like it takes five years at least and it took me even longer than that and i'm still learning a ton about um what it really takes for students to read so but definitely i would just you know make sure you and I, i'm sure you do focusing on her strengths because in the yeah. long run like what was i just reading she, this thing the other she's day? also only in the first grade and she goes to waldorf school so there wasn't oh she does yeah cool which <laughs> i like that pause uh well i just been having a lot of conversations about waldorf schools it seems like too this summer and so um my mom always thought i should go to a waldorf school and i've looked into teaching at waldorf schools i mean truth be told i've never actually been indoors one but there's one in the town where i grew up very close so i always kind of watched it and um you know i've done some research on on the things that they do but i know a lot of um you know i really believe in a lot of what goes on at waldorf school i mean truth be told if there was one in my town i would probably where i teach now would try to get involved in working there uh -huh. um because they do have uh and then i just like the woman i interviewed for my gardening podcast that i released this week her kids went to a waldorf school there was a doctor who um got a nobel prize for some something you know she certainly obviously we don't have to cure for cancer but she was like one of the reading leading researchers and to this day and she um had dyslexia growing up and like things that her teachers always told her it just reminded me of the way you said she sees tree and bird and it was something that she's some way that she was looking at whatever this cure solution was if she had excuse me hadn't had that learning difference and been looking at the same because everybody was looking at the same thing and just it was the way her brain saw it that enabled her to get that nobel prize for you know whatever this discovery was so i'm sure your daughter is going to if she sees tree and thinks bird rhymes with it then i'm sure the way she looks at things mm -hmm. is going to help her in the long run yeah yeah, well, like you said, every kid learns differently, and so it's kind of uh, figuring out how to tap into that. So what are, like, the symptoms of dyslexia or dyscalculia? Like, how do you, what are kind of some of the signs that, that a kid is struggling with this? So, like I said, I generally kind of focus more on students' strengths. I would, I would definitely recommend to your listeners, get Dr. Shaywitz's book on overcoming dyslexia and then she's got a great um on pages 122 tell you think like 125 or something she's got clues to dyslexia in early childhood and so she talks about like in preschool years you know there's the trouble with rhyming um and mispronouncing words and then um you know some of the ones that i've seen over and over is kids getting really tired while they're reading um it's uh they're stumbling reading uh, multisyllabic words they're um it's not smooth it's not fluent they're um 
a lot of times like relying on context to figure out what a word is instead of looking at the pictures instead of like decoding it um homework that never seems to end parents like getting really frustrated um you know struggling with spelling uh messy handwriting sometimes um let's see uh clues to dyslexia in young adults um struggling to retrieve words it was just on the tip of my tongue um mispronouncing names of people and places tripping over parts of words um persistence of the problems that they had um earlier avoiding reading for pleasure but i really want to focus on the strengths that you would see um okay. especially with students like you know kindergarten first grade you know having a great imagination being curious the ability to figure things out like kids who um you know take apart toasters or cd players or you know anything they're constantly taking something apart and wanting to put it back together um having surprising vocabulary for their age group um you know co excellent comprehension of stories that are read to them and that's a big part of why i'm so big on oral you know being able to listen and uh there's the overdrive app that you can download and um it's connected to the library where you can download so many audiobooks for free i mean sometimes you have to wait they you have to return them after two weeks and then you have to go back there and re download them but there's so many books that you can listen to and then also a lot of the reading programs like we taught mcgraw hill wonders last year everything that we read in school um the kids could listen to if they and i was so frustrated because they could do it at home and i kept trying to figure out how to get the kids to you know listen to it at home because a big thing is like getting them to listen to it four times repeatedly hearing that reading it that's what's really going to build fluency and so kids who can understand something that's being listened to them like a lot of times um they'll understand something better and they'll be able to synthesize it and tell you more comprehension than a student who can decode it really fluently or really easily and quickly but it's not really getting that comprehension piece so um specific like building a specific vocabulary like if a kid's really into cars or really into sharks or dinosaurs and they know every single fact about a dinosaur you know but then um you know they struggle to read uh you know here's one of the clues um like for kids with dyslexia from second grade on she talks about like saying tornado instead of volcano substituting lotion for the word ocean like where they're you know substituting huh. words that sound a lot alike is um is one example um and that's kind of like where you know we see the like reversals the b for a d or p for a um what's the other a p for a d or something or a g uh -huh. for a p you know where they're doing those reversals those are other common things but um you know i like i said i really like to focus on their strengths uh -huh. so you know learning that's accomplished best through meaning rather than rote memorization ability to get the big picture a high level of understanding what's read to them being able to um critical critical thinkers they tend to be much better critical thinkers they like puzzles a lot of times although they don't all like puzzles but a lot of times kids with dyslexia will um will tend to enjoy doing puzzles and things and figuring things out a lot of times they can focus longer on a task that you wouldn't expect but it's just the actual process of decoding 
um, that they struggle with. And there are like, there's this one program is called Orton Gillingham. I think call it OG that I have just heard so many parents say that's what worked for their children. I had always heard of, there's this program called reading mastery that we used in the schools that I've met so many special ed teachers, superintendents, teachers really promote. And that's the program I kind of like to use just mostly because I've had so much experience with it and I've seen the results firsthand. Um, this Orton Gillingham thing I haven't heard as much about, but I, I actually, I've heard a ton about it, but I don't actually have experience with it. But those are the, like the two biggest pieces of advice is make sure your child is getting a quality program that's specifically designed for students with dyslexia. Because like I said, all kids can learn to read mm-hmm. and they just have to have the proper instruction. Right. So if a kid in your classroom, because you, you teach general ed classes, you don't teach special ed classes. Right. Um, so if you have a kid who is, ha- who is struggling in this area, um, do you, are you able to work with them in your classroom or did they have to get pulled out? Um, and does that uh, Well, I've ended up like a lot of what I'll do is like talk with the parents, try to get them extra help. If they're not getting pulled out, you know, try to give them either get them access to um, individual tutoring, try to get them um, somehow either like where they can listen to the material. Like there was one year, the first year I taught Reading Mastery, I actually took their little book and read every single story in this little like 100 page book. You know, it's a short little kid's book, but into my MacBook and recorded them. And and then I had like MP3 players that the kids could listen in the classroom and they could listen along with my voice. Oh, nice. And just being able to go home and sometimes they would take them home overnight and just, that was just huge. Just like anything I could do. And then, like I said, I've always been big on um, singing in the classroom. I mean, I have a guitar, so it's a little easier maybe for me. I'm used to singing, but, you know, trying to build that rhyming sense, just trying to build fluency, because, you know, one way that you can really build fluency is repeated reading, getting them comfortable with it, having them say it. I mean, when they first told me, they're like, some kids are going to get reading, like, they only have to read a word four times. A lot of kids need to hear it 70 times. Struggling readers need to read those words seven hundred times wow before it's going to sink in. And it might seem, but that's why Dr. Seuss is so great, because you hear, I mean... That being said, I think there's like a hundred common words that you see in most books and a lot of stories. And so it's those words that need to be repeated. You know, they call them sight words a lot of times, right. but there's a lot of word, like it's, it seems like it, but to, to actually cure a word 700 times or to read a word 700 times, by the time they're done with first, second grade, they're probably going to have done that. Right. And so, so when you say like, see it 700 times, does that mean they need to see it written as it is said to them or they need to read it themselves or they just need? Yeah, no, they need to, they need to read it or okay. both. I mean, it's kind of a combination of you reading it. Like one thing that I do when I start tutoring students a lot of times is I teach the parents how to read with them and how to do partner reading and how to um, help the students learn to um, read together and like what to do when they get to challenging words and how to just, you know, prompt your child if they don't, like I was saying about the, if they're reading independently all by themselves, they should be able to read 19 out of 20 words on a page. So with like a kindergartner, you know, you're going to be starting out with just letters basically in the beginning. So it's them learning those, or even a kindergartner, 
they don't even know all 20 letters sometimes by December. I mean, it kind of depends on what program you're using. Some programs introduce all 26 letters in the first two weeks. Others, mm -hmm. you know, take their time. So it just kind of depends on what program you're using. But right. um, sometimes even for like little kids, it's like, telling them a story just based on the pictures and having them, you know, if they're not actually reading yet, a huge pre-reading skill is being able to tell a story, being able to like look at a picture book and say, oh, I see a cat on this page and there's a little girl and the cat's chasing the dog or whatever, like getting them to develop their language and being able to communicate what's happening in that picture or tell a story about something that happened in their own life, like just building those like I love podcasts where there's a couple of podcasts where there's dads talking with their kids and I just tell them, I'm like, this is so important. This is so great because you're building that language and then that's going to help the student down the road. Yeah. Well, and I, one of the things I love about in Waldorf is they, you know, it's a week for each letter um, or more, but each letter has its own story. So, and there's this, you know, the, the story kind of fits the image of this letter. So it's kind of drawn in this, way that makes them think of the story and I always love that because when I homeschooled my daughter I used uh, Oak Meadows which is Waldorf um, but yeah just more of the bringing that story the stories in and I think it's a great way to learn so you were talking about partner reading can you explain that a little bit maybe just some tips for parents who want to be more sure. conscious when they're reading with their kid yeah so partner reading is um there's some great books by, uh, I think it's Marian Hoverland. That's, they're called like, I read to you, you read to me, I read to you, where she's actually got a broken part where there's like a partner, you know, one person reads the part on the left, one person reads the part on the right. And then there's like some words in the center and they kind of like, I think they're different colored even. And it's just kind of like taking turns. Um, in school, we do a lot of one student will read one page and then we'll say, okay, now what happened on that page and having your, you know, so one person does the reading and then the other person kind of retells the story. And so you make sure that they're understanding. One thing I find that we do with kids in school a lot, a little much is ask them to do oral reading. Cause I know when I read something out loud, I almost always have to go back and like read it to myself quietly really uh -huh. quick before I can explain it. It's to me, it's really hard to comprehend something that I'm reading out loud. So that's why it's kind of good to like one person reads, the other person says, you know, tells what happened on the page and then you switch. Um, and then another part about partner reading is if your child is reading something that they don't know 19 out of 20 words, like maybe they only knew five out of those 20 words, you're reading those other 15 words for them. And then if they want to jump in, just like taking that pressure off, making it fun, helping them but they're also, you know, they're going to be picking up vocabulary words, which are so important. They're going to be getting introduced to new concepts. They're going to be able to read something that, you know, if you have like magazines about if your child's really into sunflowers or your child's really into scuba diving, you know, they're getting to read something that's way over their level, but you're helping them. Or maybe it's not way over their level, but it's a little bit challenging for them by exposing them to that extra material um, they're going to build fluency. And then, like I said, I mean, if you can get them to read it four times or even two or three times, you know, they're going to start picking up and be able to build those skills. But um, just, you know, making them feel safe, never like being like, oh my gosh, I've told you how to say this word 20 times. Like they're, they're going to be trying their best. And 
you know, just trying to give them a very lower pressure environment where they're reading along with a partner. So they know somebody's going to be there to help me with the words I'm struggling on and just let them jump in. And then, like I said, kids who have dyslexia are going to get tired sooner. And if you're a parent of a child with dyslexia, I cannot ask you enough to be your child's advocate, stand up, make sure your teacher, a lot of times teachers don't know, we don't get that training. So make sure if you're, you know, you're, teacher needs that training and make sure that they, you know, um, spelling words, get them like a, a less, you know, a shorter list of spelling words. Or um, another thing that they really focused on in my school last year was um, no oral reading, no asking the kids to read out loud individually. It was only like choral reading, um, reading like guided reading where the teacher's reading out loud just like we were not allowed to pick on a kid and be like, I mean, if you had kids in your class that volunteered and wanted to read, that was yeah. fine. But you could not go around and be like, it's your turn to read. You know, like we used to do the popcorn reading. Oh uh, yeah. Um, you, you could not do that anymore. And so, and I think that's good for kids because it makes them, but even still, if they're a slow reader and they're sitting there and they're trying to, I mean, you, they have to still follow along. You have to like, you know, make sure that they're still paying attention, looking at the book. But if you're sitting there and you're like a third, gr third grade level and you're in a fifth grade classroom, you can tell that the other kids are reading faster than you. You can, and so you just don't want the kids to feel singled out and just, um, mm -hmm. and you especially want them to be able to focus on the comprehension part. So, you know, there's such a difference between decoding and being able to figure out what those words say, and then the comprehension part, being able to understand what's being read, um, and just helping kids. I just like, to me, like I said in the beginning, it's just really about building their confidence and helping them, right? you know, feel they can complete the work. But a lot of kids with dyslexia, just, they need a lighter load. It's harder for them to do the same amount of work. Well, I know that kids that have my daughter's uh, the same disorder, um, one of the things that they do for them, because they do end up being good readers, but they so sometimes have slower processing. Mm -hmm. And so like when they take tests, they, even though they can read, especially if it's like a time test, even if the, even though they could read the question, but it takes, it takes so much longer for them to read it and to process it. So mm -hmm. They can have people read and, it for them. And parents should fight for those accommodations for their kids. There's yeah. nothing wrong with your child needing more time. And a right. school should be able to provide that. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about when you were saying, you know, talking about the building confidence, there's this thing I learned about uh, chain, I think it's called chain learning, where when you're teaching a kid something, teach them the last step. And then so like let them do the last step. You do everything up to the last step and then they do the last step. So they start with this kind of the satisfaction of having done it, like tying shoes or whatever. You know, they do that last part where they pull it and then you kind of go back from there and let them do a little bit more each time. And one of the things that I've been starting to do with my with my daughters is like when we're reading a book, I I we pick a word that that recurs on the page. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we read that word. And then so I will read along. And every time I get to that word, then they read that word. And so it's kind of that, you know, it's that same idea, like they're having that uh, success of like, oh, I read that word. And then, you know, adding more words as you go. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about when you first started to say that was the partner reading. And then also, I forgot, we did do something 
I always mix them up. Like there's closed reading with a Z and there's close reading with an S, but one of them's like where the teacher will read the sentence and then stop for like the last word in the sentence and the kids fill in that last word. Uh huh. It's kind of like that too. So that kind of sounds like what you're doing. I like that where it's like, they just have to find the one word. Do you have any advice for parents who are questioning their child's reading ability or math ability or, or wanting to, or feel like maybe there's something they should bring up to the teacher? Is that how, what's the best way to approach that situation? Well, I'm definitely going to say, don't wait. The sooner you get a diagnosis, the sooner you get, um, looking, you know, find out what's going on, the sooner you can help your child. Um, the best way, I mean, I, I'm so big on like, one of the things on my podcast I did is this thing called Facebook Fridays. I mean, really a lot of my podcast came from, I walked into the store one day and this parent's like, oh my gosh, I miss you so much. My son missed his school pictures this year because his teacher doesn't have a Facebook group. I miss your Facebook group so much. And then she was talking about how much she missed the challenges because I've always had really good relationships with my parents, or I guess I shouldn't say always, but I've certainly in the last few years really built up relationships with my parents. And just so, you know, just try to talk to your teacher, ask questions, find out, like be persistent. You have to be your child's biggest advocate. Don't be embarrassed. Like I said, according to the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity, one in five students has a um, learning challenge or reading, you know, problem or, you know, could have dyslexia or some form of it or something else. And that's the other thing I really like about Dr. Seawitch's books is if your child doesn't have dyslexia and it's something else, you really need to find out what's going on right away. Um, I've heard parents talking about these tests that cost like $1,500. I, I can't imagine. I mean, they all say it was worth it, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Um, I would that's definitely. A lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot. And they're saying like that's on the cheap side. Like they're paying like up to four or $5,000, but they say it, it's worth it in the long run. You have that documentation all through your child's life starting, you know. So I would definitely say the younger. Um, if you, if you, if you're quite, I mean, what's the worst that can happen is you can find out there's nothing wrong. Maybe your child's just a late bloomer, you know, but if I would definitely say get in there right away, try to find out, um, you know, make sure your teacher's using, um, a quality program for your students. Check out that understood website, you know, check out Dr. Sewitz's, which she's the head at the, um, Yale Center for Creativity and Dyslexia, the Yale, Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity. She's, she's got a new um, thing on there where you can uh, check if you're you know, some kind of like assessment to see if your child has dyslexia. Um, there's this woman, Barton, who she's like the Orton Gillingham. She does a lot of tutoring. There's these people that are Orton Gillingham certified tutors, but just whatever it takes to get your child help. Um, get in there right away and find out what it is because you don't want that gap to grow. You don't, if your child is behind, you want to, you know, you want to help them right away. And there is help out there and they might not know everything. Like I said, their brains, if a kid does have dyslexia, it's definitely like something in their brain. So it's not their fault. Like so many parents I've met and so many teachers say, oh, this kid's just lazy. Oh, they're not being lazy. They want to, I'm sure they want to learn to read and we want to develop a love of reading and learning and understanding and whatever it is, be in there, be an advocate, make sure your student has access to 
um, getting to like, like I said, if they're using McGraw-Hill Wonders, which is like one of the biggest programs in the country right now, they've got everything on audio. So, you know, find out your students should be able to log in at home and, and listen to it ahead of time. Um, so that then when they go in the classroom the next day, it's, it's not just this brand new thing that they're so overwhelmed with. Um, there's resources out there. If, you know, I would certainly say, you know, there's tons of Facebook groups out there where you can meet other parents that are struggling with it. If you need, you know, to get like actual legal help because your school district's not like, I, I had no idea how many school districts like you know, just like aren't addressing this at all. And like either like parents are on your own or we're not going to change or we're not going to do anything. Like there, there's definite accommodations that you can get for your child. To just make sure, like I said, you know, time for testing or time for doing anything, you know, reduce spelling lists, reduced homework. You know, it, it's important that your child gets a quality education, but also an education that fits them. And so I would just say that and then my show my website's called theauthenticteacher.com or just authenticteacher.com and my podcast is the authentic teacher podcast and i'm just um you know really passionate about bringing lessons to life that you know that are like kind of like i said with the fractions thing or like we talk about pizzas or last year i taught a lot of fractions so that kind of sticks in my head but <laughs> it really started with like teaching my kids money like it was over snow days we were stuck home for like almost a week one February and I was like so peanut because you know there's so much pressure on the teachers for the standardized testing and this and that I'm like my kids just aren't understanding how to do quarters and they can't tell the difference between a quarter and a nickel and a dime and adding it together and making 15 cents like how many different ways can we make 15 cents so I made these little videos where I was like teaching my puppets pretending my puppets were the students <laughs> like the puppets would be like oh well I made 15 pennies and here I put a dime and a nickel together and um just um you know finding things so that's where the authentic part came in so that's it i don't know yeah i love it <laughs> you sound you sound like a very uh wonderful dedicated teacher oh i really appreciate that and I'll uh, try. yeah so uh the so we want people to check out your website check out your podcast and um yeah, and thank you so much for all this. I'll I'm, I'll list all of these books that you um, that you mentioned. I'll have those in the show notes. Okay, so, I can send you the links to them. And then I've been like working okay. on a webinar for teachers in the schools where they can learn about this book because, like I said, this principal just happened. To, I feel like it was like fate that he put that book in my hand way back in mm. two thousand and five. Cause I've used it, but I don't know how many teachers I've talked to. They're like, huh, what? They don't know. It's not their fault that they don't know. It just, nobody handed them that book and the research is out there and just, you know, she's one of the leaders in the field. And, um, it's just, it's worked for me for many students. So oh, that's great. I highly recommend it. Okay. Well, Jackie, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming well, on and talking you, about Anne. all this. This was really educational. And um, yeah, I'm inspired to get my girls home and do some more partner reading. Take it a little cool. further. <laughs> all right. And sing some songs. Yes. Oh, yeah. We always do that. We have a lot of dance parties. I guess that's more dancing than singing. <laughs> I'll bring more okay. singing in. <laughs> all bring right. That, bring that love of music. Because like also, like, see, that's the other thing, like, teaching your kids to read music like where's there a ton of fractions in reading music you know and like i when we were kids we learned how to play the recorder in first 
grade or the end of first grade going to second grade. I don't know because my first and second grade teacher was the same. So I just remember doing it in her classroom. Uh-huh. But like reading music is so essential to me. And like kids nowadays, they don't learn how to read music to like fourth grade, fifth grade. They don't get an instrumental then and just um or they don't play the recorder even to like fourth or fifth grade and just there's so much math in music right and i just think um that's another thing anyway thank you so much for having me today yeah of course thank you so much for coming on i want to ask a favor are you finding these stories helpful Are you finding comfort in knowing that you are not alone on your journey? That we all experience frustrations and grief and confusion along with the joys and the laughter and the smiles? Can you help me spread the word so that others can be a part of this community we are creating? So they too can have the opportunity to find acceptance, inspiration, comfort, and connection through these stories. In your community, your special needs community, can you share this podcast? Is there an episode that really speaks to you or perhaps discusses an issue you know a friend or peer is grappling with? Send them the link to the episode. Tell them how to find it. I am sharing the word on Instagram and Facebook and in my special needs community, but I need your help also. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast one press of a button and that will be sure that you get the new, newest episodes as they come out along with getting this podcast higher on the charts please rate the podcast and leave, leave a review this also helps get the podcast noticed by more people some of whom may really need to hear these stories and also remember that if you would like to share your story you can email me at walkingwithfreya at gmail.com Get in touch with me. Let me know that you want to share it and we will figure out how we can do that. I really and truly believe in what it is that I am doing here. I know what benefits can come from sharing our stories, our own reflection, a deeper understanding of our journey, an acceptance, a newfound hope, movement through the grief, connections, and compassion. All of these are such positive aspects that we gain when we share our stories, when we listen to others share theirs, and we become a part of this community. So thank you for your help in getting this podcast out into the world. Thank you for listening to my story. Thank you for sharing your story. And thanks for being a part of this special needs community. Because we all need each other. Thanks for being here.